Good morning. Welcome to Culpeper Baptist Church. Um, it is so great to see you all this morning. Um, and welcome to everybody who's joining on the live stream. We are so glad that you're joining with us this morning um, to worship together. Would you stand with us um, as we begin worship by singing, This is Our God. that we called sin and shame They were like prisons that we couldn't escape Yeah. 
You can go ahead and be seated. Uh, let me welcome you as well to Culpeper Baptist Church. We're glad you're here for a one-service Sunday for us. It's good for us to be together uh, occasionally uh, in a worship service, and I'm glad we could do that today. Thank you for taking the time to come out. For those who are joining us on the live stream, we welcome you as well. Uh, a bit of a surprise to me, but one of those great surprises, some of our friends from Faith Temple Church are with us this morning. They will start meeting here next Sunday. Um, and we're glad you're here, Pastor Clyde. Um, and they will be uh, the fifth church, I think, that meets here on Sunday morning. So that's, uh, that's great. We're glad uh, you're with us. Will you join me now in prayer? Father God, we thank you for the beauty of this day, for the privilege of being together, for your kindness and your mercy that continue to come for us and introduce us to life, life today, and life eternal. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of worship, for the joy of being together and celebrating all you've done in our lives this week, but also in the great responsibility of this church to celebrate what you've done through this church for so many years and to recognize that you've called us into a greater fellowship of churches throughout time and throughout uh, this world today as we celebrate who you are and proclaim the hope of who you are to the world around us. And so, Lord, we pray for churches that meet in this building, but we pray for churches that meet everywhere, that in difficult places and difficult times, they will speak of your kindness and your mercy that continues to pursue us. So, Lord, we thank you for this great privilege of being together. And we ask you to make us attentive to your words as we continue to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. This next song is a brand new song. Um, I found it back in October, but felt it was more fitting for our 250th um, year. So I've been excited to share it. Um, it is new. Um, but it's pretty easy to catch on to. And so I'm going to ask you to stand and sing along with us.
That was great. Thank you. <laughs> Let me uh, introduce Dr. Bob Roberts today. I have been so excited about this since we first found out he would be able to come. Uh, Dr. Roberts is the senior global pastor at Northwood Church, a church he founded in 1985 just outside of Fort Worth, Texas. He is the founder of GlocalNet, a ministry to get dedicated to mobilizing the church to bring uh, the gospel into the public square, and they have planted churches around the world. He's the co-founder of the Multi-Faith Neighbors Network, uh, an organization committed to promoting religious freedom. So between GlocalNet and the Multi-Faith Neighbors Network, he's been doing the things that are central to who we are as a church in religious liberty and evangelism. He's the president of the Institute of Global Engagement, uh, again, an organization helping to talk about religious liberty in all cultures all over the world. He is married to Nikki. They have two children and three grandchildren. He's joined today by Daniel Lankford and Suhal Khan, and we're glad that they're with, with us as well. Um, Daniel is the one that I mostly uh, have communicated with, and uh, I'm so excited that they were able to make this possible. This church was founded on the principles of religious liberty and evangelism, and, and I'm deeply concerned that uh, we've, we've let that history as not only Culpeper Baptist, but as Baptist in North America kind of kind of get shoveled to the side. And I think this issue of religious liberty and evangelism and how they play together is the issue of our day. And so I reached out to Daniel uh, last year as we started planning our 250th, and I just did one of those website hits because I didn't know anybody that knew Bob Roberts. And I said, hey, we're celebrating our 250th anniversary next year, and John Leland was our third pastor. That's all I've got, right? And, uh, <laughs> and from there, they were willing to come, and we are just so thrilled uh, to have you all here today. Thank you for t making the time and, and doing this for us, and thank you all for coming. So, Dr. Roberts, come and share with us. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be with you. God just really did something in my heart today. I love history. And so to get to be here with you and talk about church history and evangelism and religious freedom, I mean, where else would you want to be than Culpeper Baptist Church, right? I mean, really, this is ground zero for religious freedom. It's because of this that we got the statute, the Virginia statute for religious freedom. I mean... Do y'all feel a little pride about that? I mean, is anyone still alive related to Culpepper? I'm just curious. But, but, I, but I came, my sister, I don't know if she's watching online or not. She said, I'm going to watch. I said, now, she goes to a really big church. I said, now, Sandy, there may, may not be but 10 people there, you know. And the truth of the matter is, I'll explain more later today, I actually speak in more mosques than I do churches these days. Yeah, I'm still a Christian. Don't worry. I've not gone Muslim. I still believe Jesus. Amen? But I love everybody. Amen? And I want religious freedom, not just for Baptists, but for everybody. That's your story. You own it. You're a part of American history. Nobody else has that, people. So I told my sister, there might be 10 people there, Sandy. I, I, don't, I don't know. And to see this place filled up. And can I, can I brag on you guys just a little bit? Because I wanted to come here for history. But I'm excited about your future. When I saw these young people up on this stage, it moved me. Because some of you may be getting older. But what you said, I'm, I'm with you. I'm now a senior citizen. The only good thing about it is I started getting Medicare. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's cheaper now. $10 a month, they can do anything to you. but I saw how you're making room for the young people. Guys, we got to do that, us old people. Amen? I mean, maybe they don't always sing the songs we like or do church the way we're used to or whatever. But it isn't about us. It's about Jesus. Amen? And we had our church and we had our time. 
I would rather give them their church and their time than to make them do it like me and there ain't nobody left when I'm gone. So I've got to brag on you. There must be some sweet old people in this place instead of some mean, nasty, angry, bitter old people. And then I look around and I see a multi-ethnic church. Did you know we segregated? Segregated, yeah, we did that to our church about 300 years ago. But did you know that the church I started, we desegregated it? And we went from 3% Anglo all the way to about 60%. And now we have all these ethnicities, we de- our staff, our elder board, everything. Because we started reading the Bible and we found out the mystery of the gospel in Ephesians was that all people can now follow God. And what made that early church grow so fast was it was the one place people of all ethnicities and backgrounds came. And so religious freedom isn't just about I have the right to worship Religious freedom for us Baptists is everybody gets to worship and we get to do it together. Amen? I remember after we desegregated our church in the back of it, one day they texted me from the back area, the sound booth, and it's a pretty large church in an auditorium. And on the front row they said, there's a 95-year-old African woman, American woman, she's dancing in the middle of the aisle back here. What do we do? <laughs> and I texted them back, get out of her way. Let her alone, you know? And so we had to get used to things like people running across the front of the church and throwing their shoes in the air and other things. But it was fun. I mean, church got lively, I'll say that. It was great. And I hear you have Koreans that meet and worship here and Hispanics that meet and worship here. Let me tell you something. God is excited about Culpeper Baptist Church. There's an energy in this place. When I walked into this room, I felt it. Listen to me. Music and good preaching does not make a church alive. People are what make a church alive. You guys are alive. I I just got to brag on you. I see these little kids in here. I mean, I'm just, I'm grateful for your past. And that's what I came to talk to you about. But I got to tell you, I'm more excited about your future. You need to write about this. You need to write about it. And and let me tell you why. Because there are so many churches that are in your situation, and what they're doing, they're just getting grayer and older, and they wind up with a church I met with not long ago that have 20 people left, and they don't know what to do, but they still don't want to let go. I'm 66. I could still be the senior pastor at my church. I don't want to wait until it's all gone. I want to give them while something's left so they can do something with it. Amen? One of the hardest things to do in following Jesus is letting go. I asked your pastor, I said, where's the baptistry? He said, well, we baptize people out front now. That moved me. Do you know why it moved me? Because I work for religious freedom all over the world. I go places where people lose their lives for the gospel, where they're in jail. You're going to hear all about this this afternoon. Uh, I mean all over the world, and the first time I went to Vietnam was in the mid-90s, and I went to Grace Baptist Church. It survived the Vietnam War, and inside gone, that baby's okay, don't worry about it. We're just fine. We're like little kids. It's all right. I like the way that kid was amening me. Leave it alone. Get some, you know, I like that. I got grandkids. Stuff like that used to bother me, but then I had grandkids. Yeah, I like it. Now, if they start crying too loud, that one with the bottle, take it out, because I can't compete with that, but no, I'm, te- I'm teasing you. But I remember their baptism. You know where they baptized people at Grace Baptist Church in Saigon, Vietnam? Are you ready for this? They built the baptistry outside on the street in front of the church because they knew if they followed Jesus, their names would be taken down. The church had to take their names down. They concluded baptism was not to be done inside the church for Christians, but outside the church as a statement of faith to non-believers that, Suhel, you may not know this, baptism is a picture of Jesus. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins. He went into a grave and he was raised again. It's also a picture of I was once this way in in my life. Now I've given my heart to Jesus 
and I'm being raised again to a new kind of life. It's those pictures. And their conclusion was, that's a public statement. That's what the Jordan River was about. So I want to commend you on making a new breakthrough in church history. And I'm excited that you're doing that. I need to preach on what I'm supposed to preach about. You just, you just excited me. I'm just, I'm just blown away. I love Sue Hell. This is Sue. Dan, Dan, stand up. Dan's wife is preaching. Stand up, Dan. <laughs> Dan's wife is preaching today at, at a, the church uh, that I started. Uh, we have a senior pastor. He's one of my sons in the ministry, but I don't know if that's okay to say here. Oh, everybody has different views on that. She's a dang good preacher. And she is preaching today. And normally he sits with her and never misses on those Sundays. So I'm shocked he's here. I didn't realize that until just a few minutes ago. So I took a picture of me and Dan together. And I said, hey, we're praying for you, Paige. You go rocket girl. She said, back at you. So he's here and I love him to death. Sue Hale, do you stand up? Wait, wait a minute before you stand up. How many of you? have ever seen a real, live Muslim. <laughs> Stand up, Suhail. This is a real, live Muslim. <laughs> Suhail is one of my best friends. Now, you'll meet him today at the thing, and I may pick on him a little bit and get you to tell him some of his story. This guy started the prayer time for Muslims at the Capitol building under George Bush. He's going to tell that story today. Now, Suhel and I disagree. He says Jesus was a prophet. I believe he was God. I believe he died for the sins of the world. Now, look, I don't mind you making noise, but you can't have the pulpit with me. It's mine, all right? So Suhel, Suhel and I got to be friends back 2005 or 8 or something. I can't remember when. And our whole family loves him. He comes and my kids, our, our grandkids, he's, he's one of us. He's, he's, just, he's just not accepted Jesus like we do yet. But today could be the day. And I told him, this is Culpeper Baptist Church. What better place? Amen. Would y'all be okay if he wanted to get baptized? <laughs> y'all be all right with that? So anyhow, I got him up at our church. And he worked with President uh, Bush. They got to understand I'm from Texas. And so he comes and he... Uh, and I'm introducing him to him. First time we'd ever had a Muslim in our church. And so he comes, he stands on the stage with me. Everybody could see. And he's got on his cowboy boots. He's wearing them today. He, he's got a belt buckle. Say, who's your favorite singer? Johnny Cash. Boy, everybody liked that. <laughs> and so who's your favorite uh, this and that? And you like cowboy boots? Oh, yeah. It's the only way to go. Belt buckle. So, I mean, work with President Bush. So everybody's thinking, Mexican from Texas, Baptist, you know? And I said, so what are you, Muslim? What, what are you, Suhel? And he goes, I'm Muslim. Everybody started laughing. They thought it was a joke. But he really was. And let me tell you something. This guy cares about religious freedom in the world and works for it all over the world and has been a blessing to Baptists in countries that are persecuted so they can worship freely. Give him a hand and let him know you appreciate him. <laughs> Muslims speaking up for Christians in Muslim-majority countries have far more impact than a white guy like me who's a Baptist from Texas showing it up, telling them what they need to do. If we can learn to work together, the ideas of Leland and others where this is ground zero, it changes everything it changes everything. And so that's what I want to talk to you about. And so I'm supposed to talk 30 minutes. What time did I start? Tell me what time. I don't want to mess up here. Get you in trouble. Okay, an hour. All right, so here we go. I'm just kidding you. I won't do an hour. So I'm going to preach to you, but I'm also going to teach you a little bit this morning. Is that okay? So here we go. We're going to talk about church freedom of religion and evangelism. Now, you may not believe this, but they go hand in hand. Some people think freedom of religion, that's a legal thing. That's what we all get to do, so we get to practice. And evangelism, that's what the church does. Could I just tell you something? The church was never meant to live inside the building. The church was meant to live outside the building. Faith is not private. Faith is public. You're in the public square whether you want to be or not. 
How many of you are either on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? Can I see your hands? Just one of those. Look at all those white-headed people raising their hands. I mean, that's where all these conspiracies are coming through. Y'all are coming up with them. Stop it. I'm just teasing you. We're all in the public square. We all live in a public kind of way. And so as a result of that, when we talk about our faith and live our faith in a public way, that's when people follow Jesus. When we bring our Christianity inside the building and we don't ever let it get out, that's when we stop seeing people accept Christ. But when we live in a public manner and we're constantly working with people in all sectors of society, we live our lives with non-Christians. And then we naturally share our faith. Some of those people are going to follow Jesus. I get to speak in mosques often, frequently, regularly. And I tell preachers all the time, you haven't preached till you've got to go and speak in a mosque. Anybody can preach in a church, but can you, can you speak in a mosque or in a temple or in a synagogue? Can you, like Paul, go into public places and places of other religions and be a witness for the gospel? And do you know they don't invite me because they've downloaded my sermons? It's not like, oh, Bob, have you heard him preach? Whoa. They invite me for one reason I'm their friend. And as a result of being their friend, it changes everything. Is religious freedom real? You bet it is. So I want you to just read three verses that describe how religious freedom and how following Jesus, it's a choice. Luke 14, 23 says, And the Lord said to the servant, Go out into the highways, the hedges, and what's the word there? What is it? Compel. Compel them to come in. Make them force them, require them, demand them, make it a government law? No, compel them. People should follow Jesus because they want to and they have the freedom and the choice to, not because they have to. If you force a person to follow Jesus, they didn't follow him. Compel them to come in that my house may be filled. John 4, 35, this is a powerful verse. Do not say four months more, and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for our harvest. Even now, the reaper draws his wages. Even now, in other words, people are losing their lives. Even now, the harvest, the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of the labor. In other words, there is this harvest that's going on. It's not forced. It's not legal. 1 Corinthians 9, 12. Paul says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. And he goes on to say, I've become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. Do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessing. Let me tell you something. If, if nobody thinks of it this way, but if we recapture an understanding of religious freedom, we'll see the church flourish again. Here's why. Because if our faith grows... It's going to grow not because we're the majority religion and we've held on to power. It's going to grow because the ideas of our faith are what drive it. There's a very prominent pastor. Some of you would know his name. He went with me to Uzbekistan and he, he wanted to see what we did, how we worked with Muslims. And he said, you do all this religious freedom stuff, Bob. I just don't understand. I mean, isn't it really a waste of time? And you can't even share your faith. So we're at this conference with all these dignitaries and diplomats and government leaders and everything. And, and, and I was busy and he was there just to observe. And I said, and, and I, I saw him, I said, are you doing good? He said, I'm doing, I'm doing good. And he started crying. I said, what's wrong? He said, Bob, you're not going to believe this. Did you know I've not stopped sharing my faith since I got here? And it's not because I've gone up to anybody and tried to talk to him about Jesus. They're asking me nonstop. He said, Bob, we've got to help people understand this. I said, yeah, that's why you're here. 
Because you saw this religious freedom stuff as it gets in the way of evangelism. No, when we live in the public square and all the faiths are present. See, some of you think the best way to keep your kids Christian is to keep them away from the Muslims, the Jews, the Buddhists. No, the best way to keep your kids Christian is to know that those ideas are present and talk to them about them when they're coming on. And this is what we believe as Christians. Isolation from other religions is not just bad for religious freedom, it's bad for your kids. Because they look at us when we isolate ourselves and their view is they must be afraid we really don't have the good news like we thought we did. People freaked out when I let my son go to NYU. Liberal school, I'm from Texas, we're all conservative down there. I mean, you show up at the airport, everybody's given a gun. And up in New York, you know, they'll arrest you for that. Why are you letting your son go to that liberal school? Because I raised a thinker. I didn't wait till he went off to college and then, oh, what am I going to do now? It's a choice. We don't need to fear Sharia. There's nothing in Sharia that requires you not to be a Christian. We don't need to fear Old Testament Judaism, it's unique in Christianity that this freedom of religion really started 2,000 years ago, like no other place. And so when we look at religious freedom, it wasn't a thing in Israel. I mean, you realize there were judgments if you worshiped other gods. The Puritans, they came for religious freedom for themselves. Not for other people, but there was this Baptist named Jonathan Williams, and he's going to come and he's going to change everything. Freedom of religion is always in the interest of the minority faith. I get that, but it's also in the interest of the majority faith. In so many ways. When I started working for religious freedom for all in America, not just Baptists, but the Muslims, the Jews, the Buddhists, and the rest of them, do you know what started happening? It changed things for the Christians in Pakistan. It's changing things right now for Christians in Muslim-majority nations. And, and though I may not be a well-known preacher in America, when I go to the Middle East, I was speaking at a big conference a couple of years ago, and I walked into the room, and and, you know, they had all these chairs we were supposed to sit. And you'd have to understand Middle Eastern culture, how they honor you. I was mobbed by a group of imams. You are the one who protects Muslims in America. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And here's what they told me. We, in turn, are protecting Christians for what you do for the Muslims in America. Guys, I don't know if y'all know this. But the whole world has migrated. All religions are all places now. It's not mere geography. That's not a bad thing. Freedom of religious is in the interest of the majority religion. And without that freedom, faith becomes an obligation, a forced commitment. Follow Jesus because you love him and you believe in him, not just because that's eh, what I've been taught and I've not thought about it that much. And you can't separate faith in the world. Right now, faith is having a huge impact on foreign policy and even in wars. Think about freedom of religion when you think about Ukraine and Russia. Think about the fact that Russia is destroying every church except for the Russian Orthodox Church. I've met these pastors from Ukraine. They're losing their buildings. They're losing their lives because... In the Russian mindset, it's just we only want the Russian Orthodox Church. Think about freedom of religion and what it means for others and how we can make it tough for evangelicals in the West Bank and in Gaza when we support Israel, which is fine. I do. But I also realize I've got Palestinian evangelical brothers and sisters in Christ. They matter too. We don't live in the days of Israel. Thank God for Israel. Amen? Thank God for the Jews. Thank God for the Old Testament. I got good news, people. Jesus fulfilled it all. He is the third temple. He lives inside of you. Everything necessary for the coming of Christ has been fulfilled. It's just a matter of us being ready. I don't want to give, con I don't want to give cover for lives to be lost, for people to be bombed. 
in the name of God, do I really want to do that? You know, I, I'm, I'm probably like some of you. I have grave concern about Iran. And yet, do you know where the fastest growing church in the world is today? It's in Iran. Over a million. And do you know most of them are college kids? Do I really want to nuke them? Do I really want to take out the fastest growing church in the world for the sake of my American political views? See, when we live for the kingdom of God, it means that, yeah, we may want America to be great, but God is great. And the kingdom of God is much bigger. We live for a kingdom that transcends nations. I live for something bigger than a single nation. The kingdom of God where there are people in every nation, every tongue, every tribe. So, religious freedom. Does it matter? I think so. Does religion matter? I think so. Take it out and see what happened in the Soviet Union. Take it out and see what's going on in China today. I work with global pastors all over the world, and I was with one of them. Listen to this. This is incredible. I was with him in, in a different country where we were able to meet. He had five million in his little church, but it was a house church. And he was a professional. I'm not going to say what he did, but he was a professional. And he found Jesus, and he started sharing with those other professionals. They accepted Jesus, and so they just met in small groups of 10 to 15. And that little group of 10 to 15 equaled 5 million. Then they, things lightened up in the early 2000s and he builds this big building and 30,000 people come. And guess what? The church actually doesn't grow that much beyond 30,000. Why would you want to? You've got 30,000 people. But see, he comes back into power and when he does that, the laws are and his church is bulldozed like many of them. Guess how many people are in those groups of 10 to 15 today? 10 million people. Guys, here's the point. You cannot stop the gospel. It's only when we institutionalize the gospel that we stop it. That doesn't mean the institutions are bad. It just means that institutions should propel the gospel, not strangle the gospel. So American history, John Winthrop wrote City on a Hill in 1630. He talks about how the model has to be Christian charity of love and mercy. Then Roger Williams, that Baptist. Amen? Thank God for the Baptist. I was with a bunch of people last night, some of them very liberal, some of them extremely wealthy, and they were talking about extremist Christians, and one of them said, oh yeah, like the Southern Baptist. And I looked at him, and I said, well, I'm one of them. And I said, but don't feel bad. They frustrate me too. I said, but I learned that sometimes you have to be a missionary to your own people. Yeah, I could get fed up with Southern Baptists and leave, but I don't want to. It's my home. It's where I started. I'm ashamed of what we did in slavery. I'm embarrassed sometimes the way that we argue. But if I leave, I have no chance to bring change. I leave I can't call them to repentance so I stay Roger Williams that Baptist in 1630 he comes here and he gets convicted and I wish I had time to tell you about Roger Williams maybe this afternoon more but he goes to Rhode Island in 1638 he starts the first Baptist church and he goes there and he becomes convinced it's wrong the way the pilgrims have come so he meets with the Indians and negotiates how much to pay for the land. He was called too advanced, so they wouldn't have anything to do with him. He also said judges had no business ruling on religious matters, and religious leaders had no business pushing the law. He also talks about the separation between civil and ecclesiastical courts. And then he comes up with the best idea that we have today. It's called soul liberty. In other words, you are free before God to choose your faith. But here's what we can't do. Let's be like Roger Williams, not the Puritans, because he made it free for everybody to come in that soul liberty. And so when he goes there, do you know what he does? He goes to, to uh, Providence, starts the church, pays the Indians, and makes slavery illegal 
1652 because some of the Puritans have started it and he wants it to stop. He got the kingdom. I'm so sad Roger Williams' philosophy did not win out. What a different nation we may have been had we not had slavery, had to go through the Civil War. Yeah, and my ancestors, they died in that war. But we were wrong. That's the only time you're ever going to hear a Texan admit that. Now let's move on. <laughs> Soul liberty says we have to choose, but let's don't be arrogant in what we choose. I do believe Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and every Muslim imam knows that. That's why I want to be friends with me. You really believe that. You want to be our friend. What's wrong with us? That... We believe that for everybody, but we don't want to treat everybody with respect. Why can't I be friends with Suhail or Imam Majid who goes with me all over the world? Majid and I are constantly standing up for religious freedom. So let me give you why religious freedom matters in society. Because it does. Reverend William Smith in 1775 said to the troops uh, that Washington was leading, religion and liberty must, flour must flourish or fall together in America. We pray both will be perpetual. I love the writer John Meacham. In his book, The American Gospel, he said the great good news about America, the American Gospel is that religion shapes the life of a nation without strangling it. And when, when it gets to the point of strangling it, and I fear sometimes my tribe, we're getting close. We're getting close to that. We wind up hurting ourselves and those around us. It's the risk of a moral superiority that says you have to be. Hey, guys, we were told to make disciples of the nation. Nowhere in the scripture does it say make Christian nations. We were called to a kingdom. Does that mean we shouldn't speak into our nation? Not at all. But it also means this ain't our home. Come this afternoon, I'll explain to you about what is a nation. What makes a nation? What is our response to the nations? Faith matters in society because it's critical for character of society. The religions, especially ours in Christianity, we talk about morality and morals and right and wrong. And we accept the Ten Commandments, as do the Muslims. And we believe that, with, as Jefferson said, without religion... No, no, this is what John Adams said... He, and he was writing to Jefferson. He said, without religion, this world would be something not fit to be mentioned in polite company. I mean hell. So yes, he may have been a deist. He was a liberal. He was a Unitarian. And yet he was unusual because he had an incredible prayer life. Did you know that about John Adams? So he wouldn't be a good evangelical, you know. But the point is, he understood the role of morality. It's where we get our morals from. Tell us right from wrong. It's how we write our laws. Civil society itself, what makes it valuable? It's necessary for the spirituality of a society. Spirituality matters. Did you know you're living in the most spiritual time in American history since right before the Civil War? Did you know that? Historians and sociologists, not Christian sociologists, they're writing about it right now. You are living in the most spiritual time. Here's what's tragic. They're just not looking to the church anymore. And frankly, many are not even looking to religion. They find spirituality by walking in the woods, which I do too. They find spirituality by music and being alone and reflecting and meditating. That's great. I was not long ago at a meal with Daniel in D.C. with some intellectuals, some young intellectuals. and We began to talk about spirituality and I wound up doing some writing on spirituality. And one of the things that's interesting is many of these people that were in the meeting, it was young people, PhDs, worked with the government, very influential young people. And I asked them, had they been to church? And they all had tried out the most popular churches, but none of them felt like they'd experienced spirituality. They said, you know, I went there, it's like a pep rally, but, and I liked the music and the preacher was funny and entertaining, but did I encounter God? Not really. I couldn't. There was too much racket. Let that sink in. It's necessary for the conscience of a society. Right and wrong. And what do we see? I don't know about you, but my heart was broken when I saw what Hamas did. I mean, I was just devastated. And I sobbed for the Jews. 
and Israel. And I've been sobbing for Gaza when I see little kids whose legs are blown off and their parents are gone. I can't look at violence in the world as a Christian and say, well, it's just too bad. They should have done that. I've been in too many war zones. And I've read too many books where we write after the war, we were wrong. I'm tired of that. What is it about us as Christians? Gandhi once said we should trade books because Hinduism was supposed to be peace-loving, but it book starts with a war. Christianity has no war. Jesus said peace, and yet we Christians, we're quick to go to war sometimes for the spirituality of a society. For the conscience of a society, it matters. It's everything. Lincoln, September 22, 1862, right after Antietam, and he would, it would go down in history as the bloodiest day of the war. That's where he made up his mind. He said, when the rebel army was at Frederick, I determined as soon as it should be driven out of Maryland to issue a proclamation of emancipation. I said nothing to anyone, but I made a promise to myself and to my maker. You need to understand religious freedom matters to society because without religion, and by the way, I'm not worried that the church, well, I'm sad the church is not doing good right now. I'm not worried about it. You can't look at a 10 or 20 year slice of church history and say, this is the church. You got to look at a 2000 year slice and you got to realize we've had our ups and downs, but you can't stomp us out. We ain't going anywhere because Jesus ain't going anywhere and his church is going to be triumphant. He already said it. So just because it goes through tough times of pruning, don't freak out when some sociologist says the church is on its way out. No, it's not. It's going through a pruning phase. It's going to come back stronger than ever before. That is the story of Christianity. Religious freedom, freedom of religion matters to religion because conscience, conscience cannot be bullied or bought. Now look, I love Suhail. He's my friend. He's, we're very close. Here's the truth of the matter. I really would love it if he accepted Christ. But I would never force him to do that. I've had more Muslims share their faith with me than probably any Christian alive in America. Because they love me. I'm friends with them. I've, I've had old Muslim influential leaders come up to me and literally weep and say, Bob, would you not? I've read the Quran. Would you not? Please. Become one of us. I was in Qatar this last year, and one of the crown, not the crown prince, but one of the princes put his arm around me, a young man, and said, I love you, Bob. Be one of us. And I looked at him. I said, I am. I'm created in the image of God, and so are you. And I want you to be one of us. I was speaking at uh, uh, Yasser Qadi's mosque, and he's a very influential imam. And, I, and, and so they were like, 300 men afterwards that I spoke to. And I said, how many of y'all would love for me to become a Muslim tonight and do the Shahada? And boy, they started clapping and laughing and said, yes, yes, yes. And I said, and that's exactly how I feel about wanting you to follow Jesus. But we can have talks like that. Why? Because we love one another. We're in relationships. Religious freedom matters for religion because we want people to follow Jesus because they choose him. And let me tell you something. You may hear that Muslims don't believe that. It's true. Some Muslims don't believe that. But I've met many grand muftis, many imam, many Islamic leaders that regardless of what some Muslims would say, I've literally talked to them. They wouldn't even want their children to be Muslims if they really didn't believe it. Why? Because they realize whatever you believe, it's in your heart. You can't force it. And when it's there, it changes everything. Truth is not found by isolation, but by investigation and observation. One of the darkest days of my life was when my 11th grade son came home and said, Dad, I need to talk to you. I said, all right, Ben. He said, I just don't know I believe in God. Everything within me wanted to go full Baptist preacher on him. But he had lived with me for 17 years. And I had to take a deep breath and do something we don't do in evangelism a whole lot. Listen. We're so busy sharing our faith, we don't want to give anybody space to share theirs. 
So there were several months that we went through that process. Freedom of religion matters. So if it matters in society, if it matters in religion, why separation of church and state? Well, let's look at European history. If you want to see the health of the church when it's tied to the state, look at Europe. There's a reason why we're Baptist. We were kicked out. This is why we came. There's a reason why when the Anglicans put us in jail, we said, we'll go to jail. There's a reason for all of that because we knew that if religion drives the government then whoever had the most popular religion drove the government. So religion should speak into the government. Morals and values and Christians should become politicians and should be involved in the makings of laws. But for preachers to get together and force their religion upon the broader society was wrong. I sat by a very prominent uh, Anglican bishop, one of the top bishops in the Anglican church in England at the prayer breakfast on Thursday morning. And he said, Bob, you should thank me for putting you Baptist in jail. I told him I was coming to your church. He said, because of that, you have religious freedom in America and y'all are spreading it around the world. And I said, thank you. <laughs> now I want your castle. Lincoln got it. The famous Methodist evangelist Cartwright was running for Congress. And at, a, at a, one of his campaign things, he said, all of you that want to go to heaven and not hell, stand up. Everybody stood up but Abraham Lincoln. And so Cartwright literally calls him out and he says, Mr. Lincoln, where are you going? He said, to Congress. <laughs> the idea was you can't use religion to force your faith upon all people. Guys, listen to me. I believe in traditional marriage. I think the Bible is very clear. I care about that. What's taught in schools, but I cannot force what I believe upon someone thinking that me forcing my views on them is going to cause them to be like me. I like our saying, e pluribus unum, out of the many one. I actually think it's good that all the religions are present in America because if we really believe that Jesus is who he said he is, then it should work for everybody, not just us Baptists. Let's take back what we forgot. Let's just don't thank God we've got an ambassador for religious freedom. Let's do what we Baptists are known for, being ambassadors for Christ. And let religious freedom be driven more from Baptist churches than from an ambassador of religious freedom. Father, Thank you for, being a, for allowing us to be in a Baptist. I don't know if you're a Baptist or not, but thank you for allowing us to be Baptist. Thank you for our history. Thank you for this pastor. I love this man's heart. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the way they're forward-thinking and progressive and the way they're moving forward. Here's my prayer, Father. That's strong within the hearts of these young people. That Culpeper Baptist Church will be a love for religious freedom. I ask you specifically to raise up men and women, pastors and church members, young and old, that will become lawyers and diplomats and preachers and politicians that will promote this freedom we so passionately believe in. So people can choose you because they want to, not because they're forced to, is my prayer in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Pastor.
and just in case you were wondering, Bob, they do not applaud when I finish preaching. I, I don't know what that is. Uh, one of the things we want to do this year as we think about our 250th is, is renew our commitment to our faith, to our founding, uh, and we've all heard something challenging today. Uh, the beauty of having a live stream is that we, we've captured this moment and all of us have a friend, a coworker, a neighbor who's not real sure about faith because of how it's been presented to them. And I think as Baptists, we have a different way of presenting it. And so I hope maybe you'll use this uh, live stream today uh, to, 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 to watch with them and talk about that. I also hope it'll lead all of us uh, to make a recommitment of our faith to the principles of this church and religious liberty and evangelism. So many people who, who would be compelled by the kingdom of God if we would reflect it well. The band's going to lead us in a closing song today, Here is Love Vast as the Ocean. And as they uh, lead us, I just want to encourage you to, to let God keep speaking to you, keep challenging you about how you can live out this gospel we proclaim. Let's stand together. Go ahead and be seated for a moment. Let me share some announcements with us for 
today and this week. The flowers today are given by uh, Martha um, Aiken in memory of her mom, Ashby Mitchell. And many of you all will remember Ashby. She was uh, one of my favorite folks in this church, just such an incredible lady. And so we're grateful to Martha and her brother uh, for giving the flowers today. We have some new members today. Harold and Diane Duncan are joining our church by letter, and they've been around us for a good while, and we're glad that they are officially a part of this church now and welcome them. This afternoon at 4 o'clock, we will be back together with Bob and uh, want to encourage you to come back. Even if you didn't sign up, we've got plenty of dinner, food ready. Uh, Luigi's is catering for us. So 4 o'clock uh, downstairs in Courtyard Commons. Unless all of you show up and bring a friend, then we'll come right back up in here. Uh, but we have plenty of chairs, and I hope you will make a point of coming back today at 4 o'clock. Uh, it's not Super Bowl Sunday Nothing is happening in the sports world this afternoon, so come on back at 4 o'clock and join us. This Wednesday night is one of our Wednesday nights for everyone, uh, Wednesday, so I hope you'll come. We lost one in January because of weather, so uh, no matter what your age is, come join us on Wednesday night because we're going to continue, the adults will continue this conversation uh, that Bob opened for us today, so I hope you'll come and be a part of that and sign up for dinner so we have enough food. Thanks for being here this morning. It's been a great day. The next time we will be together in one service will be Easter Sunday. So uh, we'll look forward to that. Let's pray together as we close. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you uh, for the beauty of the gospel. And we pray that we will be a people that continue to share that beauty with those around us and that we would continue to help empower the church around this world to share the beauty of your gospel. Thank you for our time together today. In your name we pray, amen. Have a great week.